If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to go ahead and turn to James. We've spent a little bit of time in that, as you should well remember. Um, so we're into the second chapter. And this is going to be very familiar passages, I suspect to most of you. Um, but it's worth taking the time to, to read through and, and spend a little bit of time um, chewing on how to apply this. James chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him, deliver him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Okay. Hopefully nobody zoned out. I know I read a long chunk without making any comments, but this passage should be very convicting to us. The faith that we have in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. It's not something you can generate on your own. It's not something like uh, any other philosophy of the world. You can study up on whatever philosophy you're looking at, and you can be persuaded of it, and you can say, okay, I believe that. It's just all up here. That's of the world. This is a different. This is different. This is a faith that's given to you as a gift, as part of the regeneration, when God gives you new life, He gives you faith. That's what it says over in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? You have faith. And so unlike persuasions and philosophies or credences or whatever it is in this world, those can exist entirely in your head. Okay? The faith that God gives you starts in your heart and then it is evidenced it is shown through your life 
you can read the Bible, and if you haven't been given eyes to see and ears to hear, it's all just going to stay up here. Whether you're persuaded of it or not in, in a natural sense, it won't have the outpouring in your life unless it's a faith from Him. But y'all, we can get lazy. We can stop running forward after our Lord in our, our Christian walk, our Christian race, right? There's all these verbs are describing motion, right? Running after Christ, your Christian race, all the mo motion is entailed in that, but sometimes we just stop or we sit down or we get lazy. No, I'm not going to sit down. <laughs> that would be a bad example. And so if we have faith and we believe what the Scripture says, but it doesn't come out in our life and what we say and what we do and what we think and what we spend our time, energy, money, the whole manner of our life, if it's not being reflected in that, it's of the same value as if somebody walked in here today naked and hungry and you just turn to them and say, okay. Well, go be warm and go be full without taking the shirt off your back and giving it to them without inviting them to lunch, right? Do they feel any better? You've given a head knowledge token to it, but, but there's, no, there's no profit, right? So don't be confused and think that by your works, you're gaining faith. That's not what it says at all. It's the, the faith that you have already it should be manifested, revealed, shown through your life. Okay? It is not a dead faith. We have a living faith. Because you know what? We have faith in one who is living. Right? I'm not the head of this church. Right? I'm the low under-shepherd. We have a great shepherd. He's the captain. He's the head. He is the one who fills this church. And everything that we have that's right and good is about him. And anything where we're off base, that's us. We have a living faith. And that faith should be manifested in our life. So that in verse 18, saying, you know, okay, if you say that you've got faith, and I can show by my works the faith that I have, how can you demonstrate your faith if it's not manifested? All you can do is talk about it. Guys, does... If you see somebody living one way and talking another, which are you going to be persuaded is actually what they believe? What they say or what they do? Right. Parents, our kids see through our hollow criticism very much. The do as I say, not as I do, doesn't get very far. Right? Well, that's the same thing. If everyone else looking at our faith, that our faith should be manifested and consistently a pattern of behavior, it should reflect the faith that we have. Okay? Wilt thou know, O vain man? That vain there means empty. This is one who's, who's void of that living faith. He said, can, you, can you discern that? That faith without works is dead. And then was not Abraham. So it goes and gives some examples. So we've given an example about, you know, the... the, the the naked and the, the hungry, that you can just talk to them and say, now be, be warm and filled. 
there's, there's no profit there. So that's one example. Another example is it looks back to the Old Testament. Abraham was sent a test by God, right? He had, after 100 years of waiting for a son, you're 100 years old and you tried to get it your own way with your, your handmaid um, and your wife, and that didn't go so well with Ishmael. 100 years old, you finally have a son born, and he gets a little bit older, and God tests him. He says, you know, who's he going to love more? Is he going to love me, his father, you know, God, or is he going to love this child that I've given him? And he tests him. He said, you know, go take him up and, and sacrifice him. And Abraham went. He believed God because God had promised that from this child, he was going to have a great nation. Great nation. Well, how's that going to happen if that child's dead? Hebrews said that he believed so much that God could even raise him up. Even if he had to go all the way through with the sacrifice, that God was going to raise him from the dead. He believed. How do we know he believed? What evidenced his belief? He followed through. Lord, I, I believe you're going to make it a great nation, but I don't really want to test that, so I'm going to sit here and wait and not sacrifice him. No. He believed what he said, and so he obeyed. It was an evidence. And so that, you know, was he, was, how was he justified? He was revealed to be just. His obedience was a manifestation of that he had faith. That it was given to him by, and he was walking in faith. Same thing with Rahab. You know, Rahab was the, the, the young lady who was, who was a harlot by trade, and she received the two spies who came, in, came into Jericho. Right? So the nation of Israel is about to come in. They send some spies to spy it out. She and her family are the only survivors of a massacre. I mean, God ordained it that Jericho was going to be completely wiped out. There wasn't going to be a single person or thing survive that fall except for Rahab, who received those two spies. And then later when folks came asking about them, she hid them in the brush of her uh, roof and then sent them out a different way. So she believed God and she acted in faith. She obeyed. Okay? So I want you to hold this passage in mind and I want you to go with me to the Old Testament I want to go to Exodus Exodus chapter 14 Exodus chapter 14 um, God has already uh, sent Moses um, back to the children of Israel he has sent all the plagues upon Egypt right? they've had uh, locusts and they've had you know, fiery hail that's destroyed crops. They've had diseases, yeah, that destroyed uh, their animals. They've had sicknesses. They've had the blood in the water where they couldn't drink it and all the fish died. I mean, the fish are a pretty big portion of the Egyptian economy there in the Nile. I mean, this, this nation was just massacred, right? So much so that, you know, after their firstborn were all killed from every household, they just were begging them to go and sending them with, with here, take our stuff, just go, right? And then the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he comes chasing after him, right? You remember where the Lord led them? He led them a particular way. He led them down to the edge of the Red Sea. And if you look in 14 and verse 2, it says, They turned and encamped between Pi-Hiroth. Now, if I look up that word in Strong's, that translates to mouth of the gorges. So I always kind of wondered, you know, if you've got the army behind you and the Red Sea in front of you, why don't you take along off the beach? Well... It sounds like they were funneled down into a gorge. Like there was no running laterally along the beach. It was a, you're, you're here. You're, you're stuck. You've got, you know, the proverbial rock in a hard place, right? You've got an ocean in front of you, or not an ocean, but a sea, 
and you've got an army who are very motivated to kill you, right? They are bitter, angry, upset. They've lost their children and all their wealth. They're looking for some revenge. And so needless to say, the people of Israel are panicked, right? And they start you know, popping off, which they're known for. And we can identify with that murmuring, right? And they start complaining to, to Moses saying, you know, it would have been better if we just, you know, stayed in Egypt and served them. You know, what, what, were there no graves there? We could have just died there and been buried, but said you brought us out here. So we're going to be buried, you know, not even buried, but just slain in the wilderness. You know, isn't it better for us to stay? And so Moses says, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you this day. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And so Moses is telling him, be, be patient. The Lord's going to deliver you. These Egyptians, you're not going to see them ever again. Right? Listen how the Lord responds. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. We'll be quiet, right? Verse 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Why are you crying unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Now, God had not yet revealed what that path forward was going to look like. But he told him to go forward. And you know from the rest of the story, we'll just summarize briefly, that he would send a wind and he would part the waters and he would provide a path through for his children. They had to physically walk. They had to go forward. Not understanding the full extent of the journey, not understanding how it was working, but he called them to go forward forward in your faith each of you are called to go forward that in our Christian walk in our Christian journey we have to keep moving forward it's not just a okay I'm here I've now attained everything that I need to do no we have a work yet to perform there's a role for each of us with the gifts and talents that he's given us we have to use them for his glory we have more to learn. If there's any of you who think you've got it all figured out, I'm sorry, but the Lord's going to come humble you pretty soon. Right? He's done that to me several times in my life. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get the hang of this. And right? We don't. There's always more that we can grow. There's always more that we can do. There's always that next step. And so that's what I want you to hold on to this morning is this idea of that our faith being lived out and moving forward moving forward and as we're moving forward I know we've talked on this um, several weeks ago but I want to hit it again and this is a similar message that I preached yesterday at Harmony so Brother Don will get it a second time and the boys but it's good for you uh, I want you to go, go, to, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31 so I think it's important to keep in mind who it is that we're serving who are we going after and what has he said, with, said will be with us along the way? So Deuteronomy 31 and in verse 6, context here is that Moses is at the end of his life. He has led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Now 40 years, he's about to die. He had disobeyed God in the water issue with the rock. He struck it instead of speaking to it. And so God said, you're not going to go into the land of Canaan. So now at 120, he's getting ready to die. And he's giving them his final words of encouragement. So in verse 6, he says, be strong. And of a good courage, fear not, nor be afraid for them of them. 
Now, who are they talking about? They're talking about literally the inhabitants of Canaan. These are the people that were so big and tall and scary, and their cities were walled so high that 40 years ago, these folks' parents had all chickened out, right? The spies had come back and given a scary report, and they said, we can't do that, because they were thinking about their own might. And in their own might, they couldn't. God didn't choose them because they were the most populous or because they were the strongest or because they're the most righteous. He didn't. He chose them because they were weak and because he was going to get glory out of using them. And so he's reminding them, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Why? The why is the really important part. This is what I need you to hang on to. Why can you be strong and of good courage and not fearing in this world here and now? For the Lord thy God. Not the Lord a God. Thy God. Your God, personally, the Lord thy God, for it is he that doth goeth with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Will there be days that you fail? You better believe it. Will there be days that you forsake others and in your obligations? Yeah, you're fallible. He's not going to. That's why you can be strong and be of good courage and fear not, because you have a God who is faithful. We talked about his mercy and loving kindness, about how they endure for forever. Right? That includes for forever. Right? He will not fail thee. He's going with thee. He will not forsake thee. As you're going through, hold on to that. That is something you have to rejoice in this morning. We've been talking about these buckets in our prayer life. You know, we've got our asking for stuff for us. Okay? Asking for stuff for others, you know time of thanksgiving and that fourth one that that worship that's the that's in my prayer life that's the one that's most lacking consistently i don't spend enough time in prayer just acknowledging and focusing on who god is and what he said he will do right and rejoicing in that not that he needs to be reminded but i sure do he doesn't need to hear any of my requests to know those either but he still told me to it's for our benefit to go and to plead for the things that we need, for the things of others, giving thanks, and, but, that, but worship, holding on to that worship. And so worshiping a God who's promised he's never going to forsake you. He's never going to fail you. And that he's going to go with you. Okay? We sang this morning in our, our scripture songs, that's one over in Deuteronomy 32, one that we memorized a while ago, that he is the rock. Deuteronomy 32 and 4. He is the rock, unchanging. No shadow of turning or variableness with our Father. He is, he's steady, he's fixed. His work is perfect, every single one. Everything that he has done is perfect. All his ways are judgment. They're right, they're just. A God of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. That's who you're serving. Dwell on that. You serve a mighty, righteous, good God. This is not some fickle, vindictive, vengeful God that, you know, idols, when people set up false gods, they tend to make them mirrors ourselves. Y'all never study Greek mythology. You see, it's just a bunch of human attributes spread out, right? And they're sorry. You don't have that. You've got the real God, and He is good. He is right. He is just. Lord, help us to know more about him. Okay. We also sang over in Psalm 103 this morning. So turn with me to Psalm 103. I want to, I want to look at that. He's saying, bless the Lord, 
O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You have a God worthy of your adoration. And we should, we should be blessing him from our soul and all that's within me, everything about me. I should bless his holy name, for his name is holy. There is no name higher. It should not be uh, used in any context in our mouth to be used as a, as a byword or a curse word. I mean, this is, this is the highest name. It is holy. It is righteous. It is pure. We should be blessing it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, all the mercies, all those daily graces, both immediately and the internal context. You have many reasons to bless your Lord this morning. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. How often do we just kind of skip over the fact in our daily prayers that every single one of my sins has been forgiven, it's been put away, it's been born on the cross by our Lord and Savior, and it's as far as the way as the east is from the west. Every single one. Do we take that for granted? Lord, help us, we do. Is that something that we should rejoice in daily? Yes! We get cold. We get callous. We get numb to the wonderful grace that he's poured out upon us. And somehow it becomes commonplace. Lord, help us to see it with those new eyes. He healeth us from all thine diseases, who redeemed thy life from destruction. Oh, we were worthy for hell. That's just one sin. Y'all ever made it through a day with just one? I sure haven't. But for just one, we were worthy to be eternally cast out. He's just, and he's right. We know his throne is built on, on, on judgment and justice. But mercy and truth went before his face, right? And that's in the form of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that by his work, he's redeemed us. He's given us life, and not just a little bit of life, but eternal life. Life that has no end. He's redeemed us from destruction. That's what we were set for. This is not a small thing. Who crowned thee, crowned thee. He's bestowed upon thee loving kindness and tender mercies. This is your God. He is a good God and he is so merciful to you. He satisfies thy mouth with good things. Anybody not eat today or yesterday or this week? He is satisfying you. Every mouthful that goes into your natural body, that's by his provision. He's making sure that you are cared for. Who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord executed right, executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Y'all, we're going to be oppressed in this world. That's okay. Jesus and his high priest of prayer would you know, say the world will hate them because they're not of the world. In this world you shall have tribulation. But don't feel like you've got to make it right here. It's not your job. God has said that vengeance is mine and I will repay. He is going to make all the wrongs right. Okay? Be patient. He's going to execute judgment and, and judgment for all that are oppressed. He, make, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful. He's compassionate. He's gracious. 
slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Aren't you glad you serve a God who describes himself as being plenteous in mercy? Y'all, how often are we begrudging in mercy? Oh, I've given you mercy once this week. That's enough. Or really, you're coming with this again? Plenteous in mercy. Y'all ever made the mistake, same mistake and had to go confess it to the Lord more than once? I sure have. It's plenteous in mercy. That's who you're serving. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We talked about that last time when I distinguished the word between punishing for your sins versus chastening, right? And one is, this is the... This is the sentence that's due. This is what you should be receiving. That a judge would hand down. You've committed murder. Here's the sentence. He hasn't rewarded you according to your iniquities. If he had, we'd be cast into hell. That's, that's, where, that's where we deserve. Rather, he's treated us as a pitiful, as a pitying, loving father. Now his wrath had to be poured out. He, he is just. He cannot just overlook them. And so that's what he poured out on his son. For you on the cross, every single one of your sins. So he's not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us for our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. That's pretty high, right? Some days when I'm dealing with my kids, I feel like my mercy is probably only about that tall. Right? You get above the kiddie pool death and I'm just kind of at wit's end, right? And on some days maybe it's here. But it says his mercy is... Beyond the ceiling, beyond the trees, beyond the clouds, beyond, as, as far as you can imagine. Beyond the earth. Beyond the earth, beyond Pluto. You know, that's about as far as we've ever sent a telescope, right? Or a satellite. Beyond all imagination. That's how high his mercy is. You can't even really understand that. But that's the mercy that's bestowed upon you daily. That's how great his mercy is for you. Do you have a God worthy of your worship? Yes. As far as the east is from the west, we mentioned that, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I mentioned yesterday that you know, once I, I got a, a ticket and I thought I'd paid it, and you know, several months later it, it came back again. It was a second notice. And man, that was offensive. <laughs> it came back to bite me. <laughs> right? You'll never have a second notice on any of your sins. There will never be a collector calling to say, hey, this one's due. This one got missed. Right? They've been eternally put away from you, paid in full. There's no one who can lay any charge against you. There's no one who can condemn you anymore. Every single one of your sins has been paid. It's been put away. And then it describes God as, as a father, father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. This is what Brother David preached on, right? He knows our frame. He knows that we're just made up of dust, that we're weak creatures, subject to error and prone to sin. And he's pitiful, pitying towards us, compassionate, loving kindness. And it goes on to describe how short our days are. We have a God worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. This is who we've got our faith in. In. This is who it came from. This is what we're resting in. These are the assurances that we have. And not just that, but explicitly we've got these assurances from our Lord and Savior. So I want you to go forward to, to John. 
the book of John, and I want to look at some of the explicit promises that he's made. As you're living out your life, and you're living the works that manifest the glory of your Father, hang on to these promises, because they will affect how you live. John chapter 6, I want verses, uh, let's see, that's chapter 7, 35, we'll start there. But briefly, the context is, uh, Jesus has fed the 5,000. 5,000 really enjoyed that, and so they wanted to have another meal. And so when he left to go by the ship, the, across the sea, they came around, they got ships, and they went over there to him and said, Wait, where, where you been? You know, we'd like another meal. He says, You're not following me because you saw the miracle, but because you ate and you were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but that which is life, uh, lasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for uh, of him hath the Father sealed, or given his stamp. And they said, What shall we do that we may work the works of, of God? This is the work of God, that you believe on him who is sent. And so they're told to believe on the man they just watched perform a miracle. And what do they ask? They said, well, what sign are you going to show us? How are we going to know that we can then believe you and see and believe and live? You know, what, what are you working? And then they try and slip in one, and you know, try and debate him, really. They said, you know, our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. They had a 40-year supply of food. We kind of like that, right? You know? They get, you know, he gave them bread from heaven, and Jesus taught them. He said, Verily I say unto you, Moses gave them not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. All, right? so all this is teeing up to him being he's the bread of life. And, and when he teach this hard doctrine, many of them would stop following him, right? They were following him for the wrong reasons. They wanted the physical stuff of this world. Y'all, there are a lot of false teachers who claim to be followers of Christ who teach people, well, if you follow Christ, you'll get the stuff. No, it ain't about the stuff. You've been given an inheritance that is way grander in value, like we talked about the other day, about you know all the best things that you've got in this world, just this worldly stuff. It all amounts to basically one box of Cracker Jacks, right? And compared to, you know, Daddy Warbucks' fortune over in Little Orphan Annie, right? That's the comparison, right? Okay, you've got one more Cracker Jack than I do. Ooh, okay, right? So he says, verse 36, You have seen me and believe not. Verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. How many? All. Does that miss anybody? No. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. All right, so all are going to come, right? How many is he going to cast out? None. Y'all, how many of the Lord's precious children operate under bondage of false teachings that allow them to walk through this life feeling like the Lord could cast me out at any time? If I do this one wrong thing or I don't repent before this and that whatever, then I'm going to be cast out. This is a precious promise. Rest in this. Don't hide this. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're called to speak the truth and to speak it in love and to edify the Lord's children. Do you know who they are? I sure don't. Because guess what? Every single one of you, before you were born again, you looked just like the world, and so did I, and acted like it and cared about the same things. This is a bondage to live under. If you cannot rest assured that all that the Father's given to me will come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise 
cast out. That's a precious promise. Hold on to that as you walk in your faith and be willing to share that. 38, for I came not, I came down from heaven. Where did, where, where did Jesus come from? He came down from heaven. Those who say, well, the Bible never says that you know, Jesus is God. What? Have you read it? For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will that has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. So is there something that has been given by the Father? Yes. How many is he going to lose? None. Is that number getting bigger or smaller at any point? No. All that the Father has given me, I will lose nothing. But should raise it up at the last day. Oh, there's another good promise. You've been given to Christ by the Father. You're going to come to him. He's not going to cast you out. And he's promised that he's going to raise you up at the last day. All that number is the same. It doesn't change. It's not getting bigger. It's not getting smaller. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's a good and precious promise. Jump down to 43. Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him. How do I come to Jesus? God himself draws you. It's not you. Naturally, you wouldn't want to come. Right? You're at enmity. When you're dead in trespasses and sins, you hate God. You hate his law. You hate everything about him. But then he draws you. And guess what? You come. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That is a precious promise. We believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. And when we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord, and our bodies go to the ground. At some point, when the Lord comes back, those bodies will all be changed. They will be resurrected, and you'll be reunited with them, and you will have immortal bodies in which you will dwell in the presence of the Lord. We believe that. Now, if we believe that, what do we have to fear about this world? Seriously. What can they do to you? One, you're a servant of the king. Does anybody outrank him? No. Can they really harm you? Worst thing I can do is kill you. Then guess what? You're infinitely better off. What do we have to fear? If we're walking in the faith that we believe in, do we need to fear? Who's walking with us? Well, God said he's walking with us. And he's not going to fail us or forsake us. And here we've got our Lord and Savior saying that you're going to come to me. And I'm not going to cast you out. And the last day I will raise you up. Hold on to these truths. Go forward again to John 14. What are some more precious promises? John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now your context is we've just had uh, the Last Supper, we've had the foot washing, um, and now they're having their final conversation before they go to the garden where he's going to be arrested. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. Right? And again, don't get caught up, caught up in that word mansions. Don't expect to have a McMansion up in heaven. It just means an abode. It means a place. It means a permanent residence that God has a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. There's many abodes. If it were not so, I would have told you. Right? He's God. He cannot lie. If it weren't so, he would have told you. But it is so. And what's he going to do? I go to prepare a place for you. Individually. You. 
You know what that means? It means he knows how many folks are coming. He knows their names. Do you know when he learned your names? <laughs> Way back before the foundation of the world. When the Father gave the people to the Son. And that everlasting covenant of grace. He always knew you. And here, when he was in human form, he's going to do that final act that's going to take those sins and put them so far away and to make you pure and holy. And to heal yourself, heal you of all those diseases and impurities and everything that could not be in God's presence. And he's going to prepare a place for you. He knows who's coming. And every single one that he has died for will be there with him. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. All that the Father's given to are going to come to him. He's not going to cast out any. He's gone to prepare a place for you. So there's a place for you. But it says, I'm going to come again. Again. One day we're going to see the Lord. Right? Now, whether we're dead first, we'll see him. Or whether we're still alive. If we're not scared to death, I mean, that would be... His graves are going to pop up. It's going to be a pretty pretty intense day. I mean, I'd say the most intense day that ever existed. But he's made a promise to you that he's going to come back. Now, he's living and reigning now. You serve a risen Savior. That's what... If he weren't a lot of folks, all this is just show. This is vanity. We can go home and go watch football or fish or whatever else folks do on Sundays rather than coming and worshiping a living Savior. But that's why we're here is because He is alive. And not only is that, He has promised that He is coming back. This is a reality that you and I need to dwell in. This is, these are the truths that our works are going to be manifested from. This is the faith that we have, these precious promises that I serve a risen Savior. I serve the King. I'm his ambassador. I'm nobody. I'm just his servant. But he has given me tasks to perform here in his service and recognizing that he is coming back for me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And not just come again because he's going to come again. And for his children, it's going to be a wonderful day. But for those that are not, it's going to be an awful day. All the things that they thought were just you know ludicrous and poppycock and they're going to say, oh, this is real, and it's terrifying. And they're going to ask the, the rocks and the hills to just squish them and hide them. But for his children, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself. Y'all ever heard of, a, of receiving lines when you got celebrities, right? We're going to wait in the queue for like two or three hours, and maybe we'll get one handshake, and they'll be shuffled off, right? I don't think our Lord is going to have to have a big queue where we're waiting to see him. I think somehow we're all going to have that intimate reception to our Lord directly. That He knows you and He'll welcome you. And you'll be able to see scarred hands and scarred feet. But you won't look at Him with shame. You'll just look at Him with gratitude and knowing His perfect love. He's going to come again and He will receive you. That where I am, there ye may be also. Why, why could Paul say for to live is Christ and to die is gain? Because as long as I'm here, I'm in Christ's service and I'm pursuing his business and I'm bringing him glory and honor. But as soon as I'm dead, I'm with Christ himself. 
That's what we rejoice in. Those are the faith. That's the faith. That's the foundation that we have out of which our life will be manifested. If we believe these things, which Lord, I hope we do, they should be reflected in what we do and what we say and things we value. Go again over to John chapter 17. We talked about that high priestly prayer. This is Jesus' final real prayer for his, not only his disciples, but for you. Starting in verse 9, it says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. And he's not praying for every single individual in the world. He says, I pray for them. But for them which thou hast given me. Is that the same number we were talking about before? Yes. Now don't be so you know, arrogant as to think that, well, that's a really small number. No. Scripture says the opposite. It says it's going to be more than the sand of the sea. It's going to be more than the stars of the heaven. There's going to be persons from every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe. It's not just going to be primitive Baptists up in heaven. Right? And there ain't going to be separate partitions for, okay, you're... No. All in one and in Christ. Right? But all that he's given me, that's who he's praying for. That includes you. Christ is praying for you right now. Now, when you go and pray, now he's sitting on the right hand interceding on your behalf. You've got aid in your prayer, right? Holy Spirit is aiding in your prayer, and Jesus is interceding on your behalf. You have uh, this wonderful access to him, through God, to God the Father through Him, all right? For them which Thou hast given me, for they are Thine. John seventeen and verse ten: All mine are Thine. Everything that Jesus has, all His people are God the Father's, and Thine are mine. All God the Father's are His. And I am glorified in them. Lord, help us to glorify our Lord and Savior in our lives. All the time. Now, He's already glorified in us because of His work. He got to demonstrate His mercy and kindness by redeeming His children. He also is going to get to demonstrate His perfect wrath and justice against sin. He gets both. So He's going to be glorified by us, but... We can glorify Him now in how faithful and obedient we are. And I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to Thee, Holy Father, keep through Thine own name, that holy and precious name, keep them, right? Those that Thou hast given me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, save for the son of perdition, that's Judas Iscariot, and the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to Thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Should you expect the world to hate you? Yes. Have you been given a real precious gift? The word. It's been given to you, and the world hates them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil. It wasn't God's plan to pluck you out and for you not to have this journey. Right? Look at the pattern back in the Old Testament. It's been chewing on this a little bit. It's been interesting. Egypt is a, is a type for sin. Right? Where were God's people? They were in this nation full of idolatry and sin, and they were servants there. They were in bondage. Could they leave on their own? No. God divinely brought them out, but did he immediately bring them out and plump them in the promised land? No. They had a pilgrimage. They had a journey. They had this wandering in the wilderness for 40 years where it wasn't their home. 
They weren't putting down stakes and saying, all right, this is good enough. I'm going to camp here and we're just going to stay. No, the whole time they're going along and being led of the Lord. Did they know exactly which way they were going to go? No, but he was leading them. And where would they end up? In the land exactly where he promised them. Y'all, that's a picture for your life. At one point, you were in bondage. You were under sin and and slaves to it. And you could not escape. But Christ delivered you from that. He gave you the new birth. He gave you a new will. And then he is going to lead you through that wilderness. That's what we're in right now. This is the wilderness. This ain't the promised land. The U.S. is nice. It's very blessed. This ain't the promised land. right? This is the desert wilderness at best. You know, we get little oasises. You know what those are? Coming to church. right? That's when you're refreshed in your soul and you get new life and ready to keep on going through the, the sorry and dry land out there. That's your life. And at death, or when Christ comes back, whichever comes first, that's when you enter into that final good and glory land. That's what we're living for. So don't worry so much about putting down the stakes here and trying to make this desert as nice as it can be. It's still a desert. right? You may put a, build a really big house and have all this stuff and everything. It's still just a desert. And this is not our final destination. right? So he has not said, I'm just going to pull them out of sin and put them there. He said, no, I'm keeping them in the world. But keep them from the evil while they're here. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does it sanctify me? Make them holy. Teach them. Grow them. That they may learn to grow in grace and grow in knowledge of the Lord and Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Through the word. It's not just kind of mysticism of, of, of I'm going to just think things and things are going to get better. If you want to think about something, dwell on the Word. Meditate on the Word. Allow it to roll around in your head. It's not going to be something you conjure up. He's got His revelation. How do I grow in grace? How do I learn more about Jesus? Read about Him. (laughs) He gave you His Word. It's a precious gift. It's in your language. No one's going to shoot you for possessing it. You know, we may count it higher value if we did. If we had that persecution... You know the guy who started translating it into English? You know what happened to him? He was burned at the stake. William Tyndall. Right? You ever contemplated being burned at the stake because you're going to read your Bible? Right? No, often we think, man, I'm a little too sleepy. You know? it's just not, it's not. No. They are not of the world, even as I am not. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. You've been sent. You've been sent into the world. Now, you and I recognize that it is not our job to save people. You have no influence on the final destination of anybody. Christ took care of that. All those promises that we believe and rest in, they're true. But that does not mean you don't have a work to do. Second Timothy verse 8 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Y'all, how often do you pray that you will have an opportunity to share of the testimony of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And then when he sends you an opportunity... How often do we chicken out or get fearful? Well, maybe 
Maybe I'm going to ruffle some feathers. Maybe I'm going to offend somebody. Or maybe they won't like me. Or, or, or I don't know enough, so I better not say anything. Oh, that's an indictment, isn't it? That means we haven't been investing enough of our time and energy into knowing what our God has done for us. If this is the most important thing in our life, and hint, it is. We should know enough to be able to share what good news he's done and to not be ashamed of it and to have courage. You have a reason to be in this, this world. Well, one of us is to brag on your God. He gets glory out of you bragging on him. Amen. We think about, oh, we shouldn't boast. Well, you're allowed to boast in God. You are allowed to say, these are the great and precious things that God has done for me. That's what Jesus said to the wild Gadarean, right? He wanted to go with him. I want to be with you right now, Lord. Nope. Go home to your friends and your family and your neighbors and tell them what great things God has done for you. Are you ashamed? Lord, help us. Often we are. Whether we want to admit it or not, by our silence, we are. Verse 12 says, for which, which cause I also suffer these things. You know, Paul had suffered a myriad of things for the gospel. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Who is he talking about? Jesus Christ. That's who I believe in. That's who you believe in. He is able. He's faithful. His faithfulness doesn't end. He's able to commit what he is able to keep. That which I've committed. What have you committed unto your Lord? Right? We sing a song about that. You know, what, what hast thou done for me? Right? And it's, if you're anything like me, it's a really convicting song. Because often, I feel like I haven't, I haven't done very much at all. Now, am I doing these things to earn favor or to earn salvation or any of that? No, we know that that's not the case. But y'all, you have these precious truths. You have the love and the gratitude and the thanksgiving for knowing them. Show that love and gratitude and thanksgiving in your life. Don't be ashamed of it and know that what should I commit to him? He's everything. He's bought me, right? With all that is within me, I will bless his holy name. Well, how do I bless his name? By keeping his commandments, by loving him, by loving his, my neighbors as myself, by loving uh you know, my brothers and sisters of Christ are the same love that Christ has for me by willing to share and to teach and to get outside of our comfort zones. You know what comfort zones? And you know, that's, a, that's kind of a nice word. I like comfort zone. It sounds so nice. Lazy zones. Stop being lazy. Stop being scared. Stop being ashamed of the gospel, right? And I'm preaching to myself just as much as this. It is much easier to stand here and preach to y'all who I know have a background on the things that we believe and I don't have to do the legwork of explaining Scripture to someone who maybe doesn't know any of it or has some really convoluted doctrine, right? Is it worth investing yourself in people? Right? This is not going to be the folks you run into at Walmart and like you have a two-minute conversation. But these are the people that are in your life already that you know and that you love and that you care about. And maybe it is the stranger too when the Lord opens those doors. But being willing to go forward and not be so insular. Well, they're not primitive Baptists, so I'm not going to talk to them Oh, oh, how often do we do that? Right? Scripture. That's what it all comes down to. If you can share Scripture and edify others and tell them what great things God has done, will that glorify Him? You may not persuade Him at all. That's okay. You've still been faithful. 
to share what great things God has done for you. All right? So we talked about at the very beginning, right, about going forward. How do we go forward? You know, if you, if you need a refresher, we, 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 we spent a long time in Titus, right? Go read Titus 2 again. You don't have to do it right now, but Titus 2 is a real good example for how to go forward. It starts off with speaking things that become sound doctrine. And then it gets into a lot of really practical application. Right? Talks to the aged men, which applies to the young men too, to be sober, sound mind, grave, temperate, that means in self-control, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. Sound, that means stable. That means one who understands and lives out faith, charity, love, and patience. These are all the manifestations of our faith in our actions, in our deeds, and how we interact with each other and with the world. Aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. That means there's a behavior that does not become holiness, right? That is an ungodly way. That's what we should avoid, those unseemly behaviors, the things that bring reproach to our Lord and Savior. They be not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Hey, sisters, Y'all have jobs, right? Teaching, right? Older brothers, y'all got jobs too. Teaching, right? Younger brothers, younger sisters, y'all got jobs of learning and teaching as well, right? Teaching young, young women that they may be sober, love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. Y'all, we open up occasions for the enemy to blaspheme our God and his word when we don't walk the walk. Well, you profess to be a follower of Christ and you profess that this is his word, you sure aren't living it out. We're causing reproach. That's what happened with David, right? David, the man after God's own heart, got into adultery and attempted murder and then murder, right? A cover-up. He had brought great occasion for the enemies of God to reproach God. That's what Nathan would convict him with. Let us not do that. Young mind, exhort to be sober-minded, in all things, all things, is there, is there an exception in there? All things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Well, if I did a good work, you know, I did, I did it right on Monday, is that good enough? Or more like, uh, did I do it right Sunday morning between 10.30 and noon? Is that good enough? In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. So we're speaking things that are right. We're teaching things that are right. We're living it out as a pattern in our life. Does that mean you're going to do it perfectly? No. Right? you still got that old sin nature. You're going to have to fight against it every day. But your pattern, your overall pattern, needs to be of that good works. Doing the right thing. Honoring God. Now, does this have to be this grand, glorious scale? More often than not, it's not. It's doing the small things. It's the having the patience when you really don't want to. It's the speaking kindly and softly when you really don't want to, when you're battling against those carnal reactions and doing the right thing anyway, even if nobody sees, and particularly when nobody sees. And even when you get the wrong reinforcement. Y'all ever, Dad likes to say, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Sometimes you will have hardships come because you did the right thing. Keep doing the right thing. Keep honoring God. Even if you don't get... Any accolades, any rewards, any pats on the back, and you just get more trouble out of it, that's okay. Don't be surprised if this world, you have trouble. Do the right thing. Continue to move forward. Continue to try to seek God each day. 
You get that illustration over in Hebrews 12, right? The, 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 the vision of a race, right? Chapter 11 in Hebrews is all about these heroes of faith, right? You get Abel, Moses, all the way through. These are all ordinary people, right? Moses is just a guy, right? A guy who wound up committing murder because he was doing what he thought was the right thing and it was the wrong way. He said, well, you know, he thought God was going to use him and the way that he grew up in Egypt, that he was going to somehow lead them out, that he was, you know, but it was in his own power. And so the Lord took him and humbled him for 40 years in the backside of the desert until his physical strength wasn't there the same way as a young man. And he had to depend on God and God used him, but he was just a man. Just like Elijah was just a man. He's described as being a man of like passions. It means he just had the same sin issues that you and I do. And yet when he prayed, you know, the rain stopped for three and a half years. And so all these heroes of faith, they're just people. But they believed God and they obeyed. What are we called to? Believe God and obey. He may not do dramatic things in our life. That's okay. The little obedience is... He may use later in time to do dramatic things. He does or not. It's for his, his call for his glory. But we're still called to believe and obey now. So you've got that whole chapter listing off all those things. We believed and obeyed. And in verse 12, uh, chapter 12 says, Wherefore, so because of all that, seeing we, have, uh, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So all these folks who are, are now in heaven, <laughs> they're witnesses. A great cloud of them around us. Let us lay aside every weight. These weights, y'all ever tried to run with those weighted backpacks or ankle straps? I never thought that was a good idea. These people wanted to be stronger and go for it. I have no idea. If y'all see me running, there's a problem. <laughs> Just in general. But it says to lay aside those weights. They slow you down. Now, what could that be in your life? Well, that's going to be, I would do this. I know this is the right thing to do, but whatever that but is in your life, that's the weight whether that's the butt of family or work obligations or sin or whatever it is, I would do the right thing, but. And sometimes we don't have that conscious thought in our head. We just focus on the butt, right? Well, if you know it's the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. Lay aside every weight and the sin. So there are weights that aren't sin, that are distractions, things that trip you up and snare you that are not necessarily sin. Lay those down too. Lay aside the weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That means to thwart. Imagine trying to run that race with your, your shoelaces untied or worse yet, tied together. Right? It doesn't go so well. You tend to fall on your face. Let us run the race with patience. The race that is set before us. Why do we have to run with patience? Because this race doesn't stop until we're dead. Right? It's a whole life. Right? What's the difference between a sprinter and an endurance runner over the marathons? One knows it's a long race, and he can't just give a burst of speed and know that he's done. Like a sprinter, man, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, however long the race is, he knows if I just huff it long enough, I'm going to get there, it's going to be fine, and then I can pass out and you know get my oxygen and, and feel better later and recover over weeks. And maybe in a few months, I'll run again. Right? Exaggeration. But the marathoner, he knows this is a long distance. I've got to be patient. I've got to be persistent. I've got to be diligent. A lot of his effort is more of his mental discipline than anything else. Right? It's not because his muscles are so strong. He's got the perseverance to continue putting that one foot in front of him, to continue moving forward, even when things are hard. 
lay aside the weights, lay aside the sin, let us run with patience the race that is what before us. Now, as we're running the race, what are we looking towards? Right. Next verse. Looking unto Jesus. The author, and that author doesn't mean penman, that means captain. That means the one who controls it, the one who uh, created it. I mean, he is, he is the mighty authority. That's who we're looking unto. The, looking unto Jesus, the captain and finisher of our faith. He did it. You know, when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, I take that very literally. I believe it. I believe him in it. He did the work. All that is necessary to redeem his children, he's done it. It's finished. And so all that the Father's given to him will come to him. Will he cast out any? No. Will they all be raised at the last day? Yes. And will he receive them unto them? Yes. And will they be with him for eternity? Yes. That's what we're looking towards. Him. Individually. Living. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did Jesus have to undergo a really, really hard journey? Yes. Is it harder than yours? You better believe it. He had physical suffering that he underwent at, at the, the cross. Right? That was nothing in comparison to what it was when God poured out his unmitigated wrath upon his body for your sins. That's what he really endured. The Roman soldiers and their whips, they couldn't compare to what God poured upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for you. Why did he do that? Because he saw the joy that was on the other side of it. What was that joy? That joy was that he would redeem successfully every single one of his children and they would be with him in glory. That's the joy that he was looking for. Who for the joy that was set before him, he could see it, he endured the cross, despising the shame, counting that shame. It was shameful. This is the Lord of glory being treated as dirt by his own creation. And you know he could have wiped all of them out. At any moment, you know, the Lord could send me down angels. He didn't even need angels. He could just... But he despised that shame. It was shameful. It was shameful just to take on mortal form. This is no honor. He despised it, counted as lowest. He didn't, he didn't reject it because of that shame. He just moved on and now is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction, such strife, such disobedience from sinners against himself. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Is the world going to hate you? Yes. Did the world hate your master? Yes. Did he endure strife and contradiction and hardship because of who he was? Yes. So don't be faint or weary in your mind when it comes to you. We're not greater than our master. right? We're not better than him. What he endured, it's right for us to be able to endure it as well. He went through... He's paid the price. He's bought you. He's already promised that you will be with him. Move forward after him. Every day, move forward. So, you know, the, the real question really comes in is, well, 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 how? What does that look like in my life? Well, Y'all, I don't know the answer in your life. I don't know where you're at. If you have never made a public profession that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you never joined His church and you're not you know, faithfully attending, then do that. Move forward there. If you have, maybe you've gotten cold and you don't faithfully attend or you don't pray for your pastor every day because he needs that, and uh, you know, support the church, and if you're not doing that, do that. If you're doing that and you're not reading every day and you're not praying fervently every day, start doing that. 
If you're doing all those things and you're not willing to share the gospel with somebody, when you get the opportunity, do that. Y'all, there are a myriad of opportunities for us to serve God in our daily lives. They're not big things. More often than not, it's just the small things. But do that. Be faithful in the little things, and you'd be amazed at what bigger opportunities you may get to serve Him. But whether the big things come or not, it doesn't matter because it's not for your glory. And your service isn't wasted on whether you're just ministering to one little lost sheep who loves the Lord but is operating under chains of bondage from false teaching. Or maybe it's a little sheep who's never heard the truth of the good news of the gospel. Y'all, you have a ministry here. I'm not the only one with a ministry. A ministry just means to serve. Y'all are all servants of God. You all have a role to serve Him in. And it's not to serve yourself. You're not your own master. You're bought and paid for. You belong to the Lord. And so use this time that He's given you in His service. Thank y'all for your time and attention. Does anybody have a number you'd like to sing in closing?